so much fun to be able to participate in Mackenzie's baptism today and to see and to be able to celebrate with her just her proclamation of faith to us as a church body and as a family and to be able to articulate her faith in a way that um, is so precious. You know, just the, the childlike faith is just so precious to our Savior uh, and to our God. And so to be able to be a part of that today is super, super cool. If you're here today and you've never been baptized, no matter what age you are, we'd love to have that conversation with you. That baptism for us is just a outward expression of an inward reality, that when you go into the tub and your skin is being washed, that is an example of what Christ is doing on the inside of us, washing our sins and what he has done for us as our Lord and Savior. And so if you're a believer and you want to get baptized, or maybe you just want to have a conversation about what baptism is all about, uh, we have a staff member named Doug who walks everybody through that, and you can contact him by simply texting the word next to the number uh, on the screen, uh, 720-513-1933. And with that said, uh, we're going to go ahead and dive into what God has for us today. So I want to welcome all of you joining us uh, online at Fort Lupton, and of course here at Thornton. If you are new with us, I'm so thankful uh, that you've decided to join with us in worship today. My name is Matt Manning, and I am uh, the senior pastor here at Crossroads. And today, uh, we are in week three of a five-week series that we are called Make Money Work, where we are taking really the first five weeks of this year to look at personal finances and specifically what the Bible has to say about our finances. And if you've been part of this from the very beginning, then you know what, as we've walked through this, one of the things that we've discovered is that while money is such a big part of our lives, like it affects so many decisions that we make, there's very rarely a day that we wake up and don't think about spending, earning, worrying about money, right? That it affects so much of our lives that what we've said is that unfortunately for many of us that no one ever kind of taught us what it meant to make our money work. We do, it wasn't taught in school. It wasn't discussed around the dinner table with our families. It was like a taboo subject in church for years, if not decades, that really when it came to money, nobody's ever taught us really what it looked like to make our money work. And so consequently, we've made a lot of mistakes when it comes to money that we have made some not well thought out decisions when it comes to money. And unfortunately, and the consequence of that is that we've seen some dreams that we've had in our lives be unrealized uh, in this world. And one of the most unfortunate things that just buries people because we don't know how to make our money work is the, is the reality of debt, is the reality of debt. If you've been a part of this series, uh, from the very beginning, we've tried to, over these last five weeks, kind of put together topics that would hit us where we're at in our terms of our personal finance. And so week one, we talked about the decisions that we make when it comes to our money, and what we decided or determined that day was that every financial decision that we make ultimately, ultimately tells us something about our heart. Then last week, we talked about finding contentment and how the discontentment in our lives drives so much of who we are, drives so much of the stuff that we accumulate that we're always looking for newer, better, shinier, cooler. This week, we're going to talk about debt and the stress that comes with it. Next week, we're going to talk about generosity. And then week five, we're going to talk about giving it all, or, uh, our budget and how we uh, form a budget around it. And the unfortunate thing today as we jump into this topic of the debt in our lives and the stress that it causes is the grievous reality for so many people is that debt has become not the exception, but the rule for our lives. Let me give you a few statistics. The average American family is closing in on devoting one-third of their spendable income to outstanding debts. Like that is an unreal number, 33% of money is going towards outstanding debt. Since 1945, here in the United States, consumer debt has multiplied 31 times. 
And if you're a believer here today, maybe this one will hit you square, that according to the IRS, people who have a religious background or who are part of a religious organization, that you are likely, more likely to spend 10 times on interest on your debt than you are towards charitable giving and generosity. Now, those are just stats, aren't they? And the facts don't cause the pain in our lives. The real pain comes from the reality that debt causes the stress and the distress that moves into so much of our lives. And we see this all the time. As a pastor, you know, there's very few weeks that go by where I'm not with somebody counseling people on a weekly basis. And as we talk about debt, some of the things that I've never heard when it comes to a counseling session, no one's walked into a counseling session and said, Matt, you know what? Ever since I got into debt, like my marriage has been so much better. Like back before we had payments, we just fought all the time. But now we have payments everywhere, you know, and we are, we are just, we're just so in debt. Like it's great. Like nobody's ever said that in a counseling session. Nor has anybody come into a counseling session and go, you know what, Matt, I just want to praise God today because I lived a life where I had no payments and now I have payments everywhere. And I just want to give God credit and, and just praise for all the debt in my life. Like nobody walks in and says that. You know what we hear most often is things like this. These college loans are killing me. I wish I could go back and and talk to my younger self and tell my younger self not to buy that vehicle that I could not afford because it's devastated my life. We hear couples come in and say, you know what, all that we do is we just fight about money all the time, all the time. We have believers who walk in and say, you know, I want to give more to help people, that I feel like God's calling me to be generous with what he's given to me, but I just don't know how to make that work with the things that I have going on in my life. Young couples, almost monthly, a young couple will walk in. They'll be in a situation where they've had their their first child, and one of them will say, I wish that I could stay home with that child, but I just don't even know how to make that happen. When people say these things like that, it's so heartbreaking to me. And as a pastor, I really do truly believe with all of my heart that God wants something more for you He wants something better for you. He wants something better for me than for us always just to be in like the the financial stress because of the debt that we've accumulated in this life. That I just believe that God wants something better for you. That he wants something better for me than just living in the financial stress of our lives. And so throughout this entire series, we've seen week after week that the Bible has a lot to say when it comes to our personal finances, that there is a ton of teaching and instruction and wisdom in the scriptures when it comes to our understanding of finances, and particularly when it comes to the proper and improper use of debt in our lives. So much so that if you're here today and you are not really like a church person, if you're not really like a churchgoer, I guarantee that if you simply apply the principles when it comes to personal money and specifically debt in your life, that you will be better for it, that you will be better for it. Because there's the book of the Bible is so chock full of wisdom and discernment when it comes to these issues. And so what I want to do today is very simply, I want to give you three principles that the Bible speaks to in the Old Testament when it comes to debt and the way that we handle debt. And then my goal for today is very easy, just plainly put so that you have it out there in front of you, that I want us together to come up with a plan to get rid of the debt in your life because simply put, you will be more free and you will experience more peace in your life if debt is not a part of it. So that's where we start. The first verse that we're going to look at is probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture when it comes to this topic of debt. It was written by King Solomon in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7. Solomon's speaking to his boys, and he writes these words. He says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave 
of the lender. Now, whether you've been in church or not before, you've probably heard this verse. And just as we begin this conversation, I want you to know up front that nowhere in the Bible, at least that I can find, nowhere in the Bible is debt ever forbid. Nowhere in the Bible do we find that debt is sin. Nowhere in the Bible do we find that debt is wicked. It's totally the contrary to that. In fact, whenever the Bible speaks about debt, it does so honestly, and it paints the picture for us. Almost always, it, picks, it paints a picture for us that debt is equivalent to slavery. That almost every time the Bible speaks about debt, it does so honestly, and it does so in terms of slavery. The Solomon who is the richest person who's ever lived in this entire world, in the history of the world, who knew a thing or two about money, he says, you know what I've seen in this world? He goes, do you know what I've noticed? Is that whenever we are in debt, we are in a position of servitude toward the lender. And the interesting, excuse me, the interesting thing about that comment that he makes is that he doesn't actually qualify it. Like there's no qualifications here with it. He goes, this is just what I've noticed. As I've walked around the world, wherever I've gone, when anybody owes someone else, whether it's an individual, a bank, an organization, a vendor, a nation, they become, in some capacity, a slave to that entity. Now, when we talk about debts, we got to make sure to understand kind of the two forms of debt that our society's kind of kind of set up for us. That when it comes to culture, when it comes to society, there's two types of debt. The first is what we call consumer debt. The second is what we call non-consumer debt or business debt. That consumer debt, when it comes to consumer debt, that's the kind of debt that generally, not always, but generally where we buy stuff that isn't worth what it's worth even when you purchased it. All right? Let me give you an example. A car. All right? You could leave this afternoon, you could leave this building this afternoon and go and purchase yourself a car, say, for $40,000. And if you purchase that car over 72 months at 5%, by the time you get that car paid off, what you'll actually have paid is $46,000, $6,000 over what you said it was worth to begin with. And at the end of those six, seven years, when you go to, uh, go to sell it, it is not worth a fraction. We all know this, right? Because we've done it. It's not worth a fraction of what we paid for it. That's consumer debts. On the other hand is what we call non-consumer debt or business debt. And that's the kind of debt that we take on that has the opportunity to create real value in this world. An example of that would be a mortgage. That the assumption is, is that you take out a loan for a mortgage on a house and that when you buy it now, 10, 15, 30 years later, when you have it paid off, that it is going to be worth significantly more than what you paid for. That non-consumer debt has the idea that we're going to go into debt and we're going to borrow some money and create something of greater value, which is totally awesome, isn't it? And yet, as awesome as that is, Solomon's words are still true, aren't they? That you are still a slave to the lender. The reality is that you don't have the freedom to decide and discern how to use your money because it is obligated to the debt that you've taken out. And if you've ever fallen behind on your mortgage, or you've ever been a part of a business where things weren't going well and the creditors moved in, that all of a sudden you realize as the creditors started to tell you how to run your own business, that it wasn't really your business, that you were just a slave, that you were just a slave to the lenders who gave you money. 
that my wife Sarah and I, we learned this vividly in 2015. In 2015, our mortgage company made a huge error on our house loan. That for years, we would pay extra payments to try to pay down our loan. We told them that we wanted to go to principal. They didn't apply it to principal. They instead applied it to interest. They thought I was just giving them extra money to line their own pockets. And so, like, all of this is, I'm folding. For four years, it took us four years to resolve this. And I'm talking, like, phone calls for hours, a lawsuit. Apparently, tens of thousands of people experienced this through this mortgage company. And even after it got resolved, I realized that I was at the mercy of everyone else, and particularly my mortgage company who lended me the money, that I realized that I was just a slave. I was just a slave. That principle number one, when it comes to debt, the Bible speaks of it as those, is that those who borrow are slaves. That those who borrow are slaves. See, when we hand someone money, when someone hands some, you money, what they are taking is your autonomy and your freedom. You are now bound to them in this almost master-slave relationship until your debts are completely paid in full. And most of us, because we did not have the opportunity to learn this, learn it the hard way, don't we? We learn this the difficult way. We learn this in the school of hard knocks. We eventually come to terms. We eventually come to terms, no matter whether it's consumer debt or non-consumer debt, that at some point we all realize that we have willingly led ourselves in to slavery. This principle is so important that I actually try to teach it to my kids, that we give my kids uh, allowance based on their age and the stuff that they do every week. And so a couple of years ago, my oldest son, like he's living the high life, like he had money in his pocket. He could go to the corner store and buy like a chicken sandwich, a soda pop for him and his buddies. Like he was a popular dude, right? Like he just had money everywhere. And then the iPhone 11 came out and he wanted to buy it. And I said, sure, go ahead. We'll just put you on a payment plan. And he is now learning that he is a slave. Like he no longer has the freedom to discern. He no longer has the freedom to spend his money the way that he thinks he spends his money until this debt on this phone is paid off in full. Principle number one, the Bible says to those who borrow are slaves, that it's going to bring hardship into your life. Point number two, verse number two is this, is also found in Proverbs chapter 22, a little bit later on in 26 and 27. Again, King Solomon's writing to his boys, and he says this, be not one of those who gives pledges, who puts up security for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? In other words, what Solomon's saying is that it's one thing to trust God will provide for our needs now, but it's a complete another thing to presume upon him by dictating the terms of his future provision. And that's exactly what we do when we take on personal debts. Again, the Bible doesn't say, the Bible doesn't say that, that debt is sin, that debt is wicked. It doesn't say anywhere that debt is forbidden. But what it does say is that Solomon is speaking to his boys, trying to teach them good financial principles. He says that when it comes to debt, pay attention to what you're getting yourself into. Pay attention. Enter into debt wisely. Or principle number two, I would say it this way, is that when we are to enter into debt, that we're to do so cautiously. That we're to enter debt cautiously. And then he gives us the reason why in verse 27. He says, because one day your bed could be taken from under you. That if you don't enter into debt cautiously, one day your bed can be taken from under you. Which was just the ancient Near East way of saying cutely that somebody will come and take your last possession. 
Solomon looks at his boys and he says, look, God doesn't forbid debt. God doesn't say that debt is a sin. But when you enter into debt, you need to do so wisely. That every time you enter into debt, you are taking a financial risk. And sometimes those risks are wise, like with a, you know, a reasonable mortgage, a startup business, credit cards that you pay off at the end of every month. But culturally, every single one of us know that our culture is really good at inventing ways for us to take on debt unwisely, don't we? I mean, you can't get off an airplane today without at least someone like telling you to get their credit card, right? It's like go in debt on our credit card so that you can make miles to fly wherever you want to accrue more debt. Like, like this is the way that all of our society is built. And Solomon says, look, you just need to be aware of this. That sin is not bad. That sin is not, or I mean, debt is not bad. Debt is not sinful. But if you're going to enter into debt, you got to do so cautiously because somebody will be around to take your last possession. And so if we're going to be wise when it comes to debt, it would be helpful to have just a couple of questions that we kind of filter through to help us understand whether this is a wise decision or not as we think about entering into debt. And so question number one is this, is the fact that I don't have enough resources to pay for this, God's way of saying this isn't my will for you. As Christians, we need to think hard about that. As Christians, we need to wrestle with that. Is the fact that you don't have the resource to purchase it now God's way of saying, this isn't my will for your life? Like, if God hasn't provided now, do we presume upon him in the future? Or maybe this just isn't his will for our lives. Question number two goes like this. Is it possible that this is actually God's will, this purchase before you. But because of my choice, the way that we live, the discontentment in which drives my life, like the way that we talked about last week, the drive for newer, better, shinier, cooler, has it put me in a position where I can't afford to buy it? And would I be better learning the lesson God is showing me and forgoing this until I have, through his provision and my diligence, enough to buy it? That we need to consider that question. And the reality is, is if you can get through these two questions and you can look at the debt that you're about to acquire and go, look, it's wise to take this on, then by all means, step into it. But the Bible says when you do, do so cautiously and realize that even in wise debt, you are putting yourself into slavery, that you are putting yourself into slavery, which brings us to the third verse. And the third verse is found in Psalm 37, verse 21. King David is writing this, and he writes this uh, to his readers. He says, the wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. Now this verse, there's quite a contrast here, isn't there? The contrast here is, is the wicked person borrows and then walks away and never pays their debt back. As opposed to the righteous person who has the freedom to be generous and to give to those who are in need. And David's point in this is, he's saying, be like the second, not the first. And the principle that we come to when it comes to this is this, is that when it comes to the Bible, there is an expectation that you must pay your debts. You must pay your debts. The point is that God, followers of God, that we must ultimately be true to our word, which means that our debts must be repaid. That debts are obligations that we should, in our very best abilities, that we should move in our very best abilities to pay those back. 
And to not do so, David is harsh, to not do so, he says, to not pay off your debts is to put you in the category of not righteous, but wicked. To not pay back your debts is to forgo your character. It's to dismiss your witness in this world. The principle number three when it comes to debt is, is debt's not wrong, debt's not sinful, that the Bible doesn't forbid it, but if you take it out, do so cautiously, realize that you're going to be enslaved, and when you do, you must pay it back. Which leads us to really the practical application of this sermon. Like I've said every week, that we want to make these sermon series as practical as we can. We don't want you just walking out going, hey, really good sermon, Matt, but not knowing how to apply this in your life. And so week one, going all the way back, we decided or determined that every financial decision says something about our heart. And that week, we decided that, that as we walk out of this building, we're just going to take an entire week to watch our money, to see where it goes. Because where it goes ultimately is going to tell us something about our hearts. And for many of you who did that and have spoken to me, what it showed about your heart, you weren't all too excited about it. And that God brought some conviction in your life and going, man, if that's what my heart looks like, then maybe I need to make some changes in my life. Last week, we talked about contentment. And the inventory that we took is, is when it comes to our discontentment, is my life and the discontentment of my life being driven by the marketing and the culture of this world where I'm marching with them, newer, better, shinier, cooler, like whatever's next. Or is the discontent in my life a holy discontent? It's a discontent that my character's not maybe where I want it to be. A discontent that I see something in this world that, that's not right, that's unjust, that I want to fix. Like, like where's your discontent really moving and out in this world? Because that will tell you a lot of how you find contentment, satisfaction, happiness in your life. And as we get to today and talk about debt, my challenge to you is, like I said at the very beginning, to simply come up with a plan that rids you of your debt, because when you do, you will experience freedom and more peace in your life. And so if you're interested in that plan, I'm just going to walk through seven steps of freedom for you right now. Number one starts with repenting. It starts with repentance. And I know for some of you, you might be thinking, well, Matt, you've said multiple times today that debt is not sin. What do I need to repent for? Oftentimes, that our attitudes, our actions, our thoughts that ultimately lead us into debts are sinful, aren't they? That we step back, and if we look at our lives, we would step back and say, God, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've marched to the cultural beats. I'm sorry that I cared way more about what people thought about me, particularly my financial status. And so much so that I, that I sold myself into slavery, that I became the master of another, and that you're no longer the only master in my life, God. I'm sorry for that. So Lord, give me the courage and the discernment. Give me the wisdom, the self-control to get myself out of this debt so that I can know the freedom that you give to me. I think that's where most of us need to start is with repentance. Then number two is to take on no new debt, to take no new debt. Like if we could just live with the understanding that if I don't have, if God hasn't provided me with the resource to do it, then the default is that it's not in God's will for my life right now. Like if we could just start living by that, it would change everything. Number three, systematically eliminate debts. 
This is the Dave Ramsey principle. Start with your small debts, start to pay those off. As you accumulate more and more of your own wealth, you use that to pay off the next larger debt, so on and so forth, and pretty soon you get to a point where the excess that you have in your life isn't just going for more fun things, but actually you're putting away into savings, so the next time you have to buy a car, you don't have to take out debt, but you can just pay it in cash, systematically eliminate your debts. Number four is to cut the cards. Now, when it comes to credit cards, credit cards are not bad. Most of our world functions on credit cards, doesn't it? I have a card, you have a card, we all use cards all the time. And there's some benefits, great benefits to using a card. But hear me on this. If you do not have the discipline to pay off your credit cards at the end of every month, you would be better off cutting them up because they are killing you in terms of your stress. Number five, maybe this one's the most important, is stop making excuses for the debt that you have. Every single one of us could sit down and we could have an honest and good conversation, couldn't we, about why we are in the debt or why we have the debt that we have, why we have accumulated the debt that we have. And yet the reality is, if we looked at the most of our debt, the consumer debt particularly, it would just all be an excuse. It would all be an excuse for us to live a standard of living that is above our means that the average American in the United States right now is living at 130% of their income, 130%. Like, like the stress levels that cause, unbelievable. Number six, increase your income. That you might be so far in debt that you might have to consider ways to increase your income. And if that means that you're working a 40-hour job, that it will probably be very difficult for you to take on another job long term, but maybe in the short term, it's what's necessary. That I have a friend of mine who's so concerned about debt and the debt that he's accumulated in his life that he's actually, before and after work, that he works for Uber Eats, that on his way to work, on his way home for work, he signs on to Uber Eats to pick up a meal on his way home, saying, look, I can bring in a couple of extra dollars every day in order to pay down my debt. You can be creative. Number seven, be patient. The reality is, is that it took years, even decades, to get you to this point in your life. And you're not gonna get all of this resolved in the next week. That you're gonna need patience and diligence and self-control to see this through. See, when it comes to finding ultimate freedom and ultimate peace in your finances, you have to choose this day. You have to say that, look, I don't care, I don't care where I have to live, I don't care what I have to drive. I don't care what other people are going to think about me. On this day, I choose, I choose to get out of debt. That I will not be a slave to those who have loaned me money, even though I went willingly. That you have to choose this day to begin to dig out. And when you do, something remarkable will happen. That when you do, you will realize that God is more real than maybe you've ever known in your life. Because here's the deal. I, as your pastor, I want this so badly for you. And your Savior, Jesus, he wants this so badly for you that he actually went to the cross and died for you. And the question is, is do you want this badly enough for yourself? And if you do, if you do, then today needs to be the day that you make up your mind, no matter what it takes, that I'm going to be free that I'm gonna be free to be what God wants me to be, that I'm gonna be free to do what God wants me to do. I'm gonna be free to go where God calls me to go. 
And I'm not going to let any person or company or vendor tell me how to live my life anymore, that I'm going to be free, that I'm going to get myself out of debt. And if you do, listen, that's a decision that, will never, that you will never, ever, ever regret. And so maybe for the first time, that this is the first time that you've, that you've viewed this topic through the lens of spirituality. The good news is, is that Jesus has been here throughout. And Jesus wants you free. Let me just take a moment to tell you how free. The reality of scriptures, one of the great truths of scriptures, is that you have a debt that you cannot pay. It's not like credit cards where eventually you can maybe pay it down and get free from under that, that you have a debt that you cannot pay because of your sin. That when, jo- uh, when Jesus walked on this earth, he said this statement. It's recorded for us in John chapter 8, verse 34. It goes like this. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he answers them, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a, there's our word, is a slave to sin. That everyone who practices sin, Jesus is referring to all of us, that we all practice sin, and because we practice sin, we are a slave now to sin. That that is a debt that you cannot pay, no matter how hard you try. And so our God, our heavenly Father, with love and mercy and grace, looks at his son Jesus and says, you go in. And you pay for their sin. And so Jesus lands on this earth. He lives a perfect life. He goes to the cross so that your sins could be paid for. That your debt could be paid for. That that's what your Savior did for you. And so we look at that and we, and we come to this level, this theme of, of debt in our personal finances. And we look at this and the financial reality of this is so huge. Because if Jesus went to that extent to, for you to find freedom... Why in the world would we be willing to sell ourselves into just another form of slavery? Like if Jesus did all of that to free me from the slavery of sin, why would I willingly send myself into slavery of another kind? Jesus says you can be free. You can know peace that surpasses understanding. I've provided it for you, that I am your freedom. And if you want to know what a relationship looks like with Jesus... If you've never had the opportunity to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I would encourage you just to take out your phone and text Jesus to the number that we've mentioned a couple of times. We have people who would love to have that conversation with you as you go down that road. Would you pray, for me, pray with me? Father, we step into your presence, Lord, knowing that you're here. And Lord, as we look at these last couple of weeks talking about finances, the last two, Lord, have been pretty soft compared to today. Lord, that so much of our lives is consumed by debt. Lord, so much of the stress in our lives is because of the financial obligations that we've made that we have trouble keeping. And Lord, your word is pretty clear that when it comes to the debts of our lives, that those debts, when it comes to our money, Lord, that they're not sinful. They're not bad, they're not wicked, they're not even forbid in your scripture. But Lord, that we're called to be a people, that when it comes to debt, financial debt in our lives, that we, that we enter into it cautiously, that we realize at some level that we're selling ourselves into slavery, and that your expectation on us is to make sure that we pay it back. 
And so, Lord, I pray that, that you would give us the courage and the discernment, the wisdom and the self-control to live out these principles in our lives. And Lord, that we could live in ultimate freedom, knowing that we are walking with you, that you are our master and no one else is. Lord, help us experience that freedom as a body, as a family, as a church, as individuals. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. As we come together as a church, celebrate a time of communion, we remember what our sin debt cost our Savior. That when Jesus was with his disciples on that last night before the cross, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my body, this is the payment for your debt that you could not pay in this life. And so we remember that payment from our Savior to set us free. And with his disciples, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. This is your ticket to eternal life. And so we drink and we believe today. I'm gonna ask you all to stand as we worship together in song. Over the course of the next few minutes, you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Just make your way to the banner online. You can click the button. But let's sing together to our good Lord and Savior, Jesus.